Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. No, no Christian has a martyr's complex. No Christian wants to check out early. Pastor stood up before a congregation and said, it was uh, young and old, everybody was there at the service, how many of you want to go to heaven? Raise up your hand. And all the people raised up their hand except one little boy in the back row. He saw the pastor in the hallway later, and the pastor said, hey, why didn't you raise up your hand when I said, do you want to go to heaven? He said, I thought, pastor, that you meant now. I want to go to heaven, just not now. <laughs> yeah. And so his journey of faith is chronicled in Hebrews 11. We've looked at it before. But the Bible says that God has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is 2 Timothy 1.10. God has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, it's come to light that we're going to live forever, not just quantity, but quality of life when we pass from this place. And so his life was full of years. So let's pick it up, Genesis 25, verse 1. Now Abraham, uh, remember Sarah had died. Uh, her death is mentioned at the end of the last chapter, and since we've been away for a couple of weeks, let's just... Um, recall where we were. So Isaac, look at 2463, he went out to meditate in the field toward evening. He lifted up his eyes. He looked. Behold, camels were coming. Rebecca lifted up her eyes. When she saw Isaac, 2464, she dismounted from the camel. And she asked about him. And he, uh, the servant said, that is my master. The servant told Isaac all things that he had done, and Isaac brought her, Rebekah, into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So Sarah has died, Rebekah has come into the tent, and now we have a shift in the story. Now Abraham, the camera pans back to him, took another wife. His wife had died, and her name was Keturah. The Hebrew uh, word that connects to her name is ketoret, and it, her name literally means spices, or in some translations, spicy. I'm just kidding. It doesn't mean that. <laughs> but I liked how it sounded. <laughs> yeah, I know. Abraham's put, trying to put a little spice back in his life. You know. Anyway, sorry. So... <laughs> So Abraham took this wife, her name was Keturah. You'll find out in verse 6 that um, she is called a concubine. And so there's a little bit of debate among scholars as to what she was, or more specifically, when she was what she was. Let me put it this way. There's a scripture, and you can write this down and look at it later, 1 Chronicles 1.32, that calls Keturah, Abraham's concubine. Some scholars believe that she was the concubine of Abraham's while Sarah was alive. And then some scholars say, no, I don't think so. The Hagar incident was, a, was a, an anomaly. It was a, it was a hiccup. 
And uh, he did this afterwards. And the plain language of the verse seems to uh, indicate that he took her afterwards. What the Bible may be saying here is that Sarah was his primary wife. We know that, just remember, he did marry Hagar. He took Hagar in as a wife to bear children. And so that sometimes happened in these ancient households. There was no medical advances, nothing you could do if a wife was barren. People obviously prayed about it, but if it looked like a hopeless situation, another wife came into the situation to bear children to the husband. And so uh, Keturah, in, in all likelihood, he marries her after um, Sarah has died. Her, her name, I mentioned, can mean spices or covered with incense. And there's a rabbinic tradition, and this is a, uh, from the rabbis, not well attested, but I'll just mention it in passing, that Keturah had some connection with Hagar. We don't know for sure, but anyway, um, there it is. So this is how Abraham would be the father of many nations. He had Ishmael through Hagar. She was Egyptian. Then he married Keturah. She may have been Egyptian or something else. I don't know for sure. But he became the father of many nations. And you're going to see some genealogical lists that frame the life of Abraham. And we'll, we'll read through it quickly. But she bore to him, look at verse 2, chapter 25, Zimron, Jokshan, Medan, and Midian, and Ishbak, and Shua. That's verse 2. So the Bible is big about especially when you're looking at people's lives and maybe there's a conclusion of life or an explanation of a person's life. The Bible's big about telling you the family lines that sprung from that life. A lot of people are doing that today with Ancestry.com, right? They're going back and trying to figure out their lineage and stuff. Well, this is very big to the Jewish people. And so what they did is they would chronicle a genealogy, which simply means a family tree and talk about offspring that came from this line. And in most cases, it was only mentioning the sons that were born that carried on the name. And uh, we don't have all the history of all these particular uh, names and locations, but I will tell you this, that the consensus of scholarship is that these people groups, and we'll see um, six sons from Keturah and 12 sons of Ishmael, all traced back to Abraham, not through Isaac, but through other nations, Ishmaelites, if you will, and then those who came from Keturah, six sons in Abraham's old age. And the consensus of scholarship is that these people moved to Arabia, to the east of Canaan. Israel's here. So if you go east, you're starting to go towards Jordan, and uh, you're starting to go, go towards Iran and Iraq. So it's in those areas, and Arabia is there as well, the Arabian Peninsula, north and south, from Egypt all the way up. Uh, at this time, I think it would be Assyria. And so you can trace some of these names are found in what's called cuneiform archaeological discoveries. And what that means is that they've dug up some sites, and they've seen some of these names, and they're pretty ancient. And so they can make connections to Bible passages and say, ah, it seems like that people group was around for a long time and connects to these Bible stories. To, um, if you pick it up in verse 2, just look again. I'll just highlight a name for you. Midian is going to sound familiar to a lot of you because Midian was the father of the Midianites. 
Um, the Midianites were the ones that bought Joseph from his brothers in that terrible uh, transaction as they sold him into slavery. And it was Moses who ended up um, with the priest of Midian who had seven daughters after he fled Egypt and fled the Pharaoh who wanted to kill him for killing an Egyptian. And Moses fled and he ended up in the land of Midian and uh, his father-in-law's name is Raul, but it's also, he's also known as Jethro. He had seven daughters, apparently no sons, and uh, Moses ends up at the well, and the daughters come to get water, and they get harassed, and Moses steps in. And the daughters come home a little early, and they say, and the dad says, why are you home early? And they said, oh, well, we got harassed at the well, but there's this guy, and he, he appears to be Egyptian, and he rescued us. And the dad says, where is he? And why didn't you invite him over for dinner? What were you girls thinking? You found a man. <laughs> Go get him and invite him to dinner, please. So if you've watched uh, the Ten Commandments, Cecil B. DeMille's version of Moses' life, the daughters all dance before him, and he gets to choose, and... Anyway, just, a, just in passing, note Exodus 2.16 calls Jethro the priest of Midian. Just think about it with me. Where was Moses raised? In Egypt. So he learned the ways of the Egyptians. He learned probably multiple languages. He probably knew mathematics. He probably knew astronomy. He was well-learned, and he was equipped then to write down the first five books of the Bible. However, where did Moses learn about God? Where did he learn about the God of the Bible? Well, some of you are thinking with me, and you, go, you know, well, his mom nursed him for the first few years, right? Until he was weaned, she got to nurse him. So, but even if he was three, when that process was finished, how much would he have learned about God when he was three? So it's very possible that Jethro or Raul becomes a main source of spiritual information to Moses. And I just mentioned that in passing when you see these names. Verse 3, uh, Jokshan became the father of Sheba and Dedan. They're mentioned in Ezekiel 38, 13, and again in the area of Arabia. The sons of Dedan were Ashuram and Letushim in that place. Leumim. And the sons of Midian were Ephah and Ephur and Hanak. Abidah, and Eldot, all these were sons of Keturah. So if you count them all in total, you'll have six there. And the groupings, um, uh, just let me just read from one commentary. It says, it's widely agreed among Bible scholars that Sheba and Dedan refer to the people of the Arabian Peninsula, including modern-day Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Oman, and the Gulf countries of Kuwait, and the United Arab Emirates. We don't have a record of the relationships within the family between Isaac and these half-brothers, but there's no mention of conflict. And remember, Isaac's the son of promise, but he's got Ishmael on one side who was older, and then these six other siblings, and uh, there's no mention of conflict, so hopefully towards Abraham's end of life, things calm down. Now Abraham, look at verse 5, gave all that he had to Isaac. Isaac was not technically the firstborn. Ishmael was. Why did Isaac get everything? 
because Isaac was the son of promise. He was the son that was supposed that Abraham and Sarah were supposed to wait for. Ever get ahead of God? Yeah, we've all been there before, right? And so legally, Isaac was the firstborn. And in Genesis 22, when Abraham takes him up on Mount Moriah, the gospel's being acted out. And he's got the knife above his son. And what God is showing us is what would happen to his son of promise, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years later on that same mountain. So Isaac had the preeminence. He was the legal firstborn. To the sons of his concubines, this would include Hagar and Keturah. Look at verse six. Abraham gave gifts, lesser gifts here, while he was still living and sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. And so again, uh, I've mentioned those lands to the east of Israel. And the concubines are Hagar and Keturah. And you might be wondering, well, what happened to these people groups and who are they? Well, this is where scholars say to us that the Arabs come from Abraham. And so when you, ha- when you take all of these family lines and you begin to kind of connect the dots and you look at geographically where they ended up, these are the Arabs. And there's intermarriages that happened over time and they probably you know, landed in different destinations, but they were a nomadic people. Many of them were sheep herders and they moved around and they lived in tents and This is where you get the Arab lines. Just write down Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah 60, 1 through 7, where it talks about these people coming from the east and when Israel is reborn, if you will, in the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 7. Now, these are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived. Verse 7, 175 years he lived, and Abraham breathed his last, and died in a ripe old age, an old man satisfied with life, and he was gathered to his people. So here's Abraham, he lives 175 years, and he dies satisfied, full, complete, good in every sense of the word. That's why I said at the beginning of this message, I wonder how many people are checking out of the planet this way? How many people are dying? And it could be said of them, they died at a ripe old age and they died satisfied, content. I mean, many of us, we have so much going for us now and contentment seems to be something that we can't even grasp. Seems so hard as Americans to just be content. Have you ever just... Pause, maybe walk out in your backyard and just look up and just thank God for what you have. We all need to do that a little bit more if you have a backyard. (laughs) Maybe that's why you're not content. I don't know. (laughs) And Abraham breathed his last. We're all going to have that last breath, verse 8. And he died. He was an old man satisfied with life and he was gathered to his people. The language here in verse 8 does not speak about the length of his life, but the quality of his life. Psalm 90, verse 12, Moses says, O Lord, teach us to number our days, that we might present to you a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach me, Lord, that I'm passing through, 
I'm looking for a city whose architect and builder is God. I'm an alien. I'm a pilgrim passing through on this planet. I know I'm not going to be here forever. So let me make preparation to leave a solid legacy of faith and to look upon my children and grandchildren with contentment because I've passed along to them what's most important. Did everybody hear that? Everybody hear what I just said? I'm not sure most Americans believe that's the most important thing that you can do for your family is pass along your faith. But I hope that's your priority. I mean, how many people do you think in Abraham's tent, no TV, no cell phones, none of that stuff, heard the stories about God? Oh, I'm sure they were told over and over again, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, right? And if you keep reading Deuteronomy 6, we're told that you should tell your children the stories of faith. And so I'm sure part of Abraham's satisfaction was to look upon all this offspring, all these children and you know, uh, grandchildren that had sprung from him. And he could smile upon God's promises because at one time, his wife was barren, you guys. There seemed like there was no hope for offspring. And now he's got more than he can count. And I'm sure his Christmas list was pretty long. Sure, birthdays were hard to track. But it's pretty cool when you have to try to keep track of all that stuff because it means that God has done something very special in your life. Don't overlook that. It's a blessing. And so he was gathered to his people. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, Solzhenitsyn shares some thoughts about growing old. He says, God had promised Abraham a long and blessed life he says, aging is in no sense of punishment from on high, but brings its own blessings and warmth of colors all its own. There is the warmth to be drawn from the waning of your own strength. You can no longer get through a whole day's work, but how good it is to slip into a brief oblivion of sleep. <laughs> Naps. And what a gift to wake up once more to the clarity of your second or third morning of the day. <laughs> <laughs> is it morning then you have coffee again you go through the whole routine he says you are still of this life you yet you are rising above the material plane growing older serenely is not a downhill path but it is an ascent hmm you see, we're in a society that throws away old people. Uh, you know. Have you ever been, have you ever maybe uh, come to a conclusion about a person from afar, just judging a book by the cover, and then you had a conversation with that person and it was so delightful and unexpected and you're like, why didn't I approach that person before? You know, there's, there's wisdom to be shared with the generations that are coming up. And those of us who are older, let's not be afraid to share it. And for those of you who are younger, don't be afraid to ask us because we do have some stuff that we can share with you. See the phrase, he was gathered to his people? Uh, you know, on, a, on the surface, when you read your Bible, you say, well, gathered to his people means to be buried, right? I don't think so. 
I think to be gathered to his people means something spiritual. I don't think it's just a physical statement. To be gathered to his people is more than burial. It indicates an afterlife. Write this down in 3629. It says Isaac was gathered to his people. In 4933 in Genesis, it says Jacob was gathered to his people. But you're going to find out that Abraham's bought a tomb, and the only person in the tomb right now is Sarah. How was he gathered to his people if only Sarah was in the tomb? Because to be gathered to your people is not just burial. To be gathered to your people is speaking of an afterlife. The Bible says there's an afterlife. The Bible says when you breathe your last here, you keep on living. In fact, Jesus Christ said it himself. In Luke 16, he tells the story of a rich man and Lazarus, and Lazarus is the poor beggar who is at the gate of the rich man, and he longs to be fed with the crumbs that fall from the rich man's table. And the dogs come and lick his sores, right? And some Bible commentators say that's a parable, but most of us believe that Jesus is giving us a glimpse into the afterlife, showing us two people that die. He names one of them Lazarus, the poor beggar, and the other man's a rich man. And he was clothed in fine purple, and he had parties every day. The poor man had nothing, but they both die. The rich man dies and is buried. The poor man dies and is buried. Bodies are dead. They're in tombs or in the ground. But both of them are very much alive. Luke 16, this is verses 19 through 31. The rich man is in Hades and has all of his senses. And the poor man is in what? Abraham's what? Bosom. Now, if you take that literal Greek word there, Abraham's bosom means Abraham's side. Here's what it means. Do you know when Jesus tells that story, he puts words into Father Abraham's mouth. Abraham is asked, can you get Lazarus to put some water on the tip his, uh, on his finger and put it on the tip of my tongue? I'm in agony in this flame. And Father Abraham says, son, in your life you had your good things and he not so good. Now you're in agony in this flame and he's being comforted. And besides, there's a great chasm fixed between you and us and we can't cross over to you and you can't cross over to us. Who's talking? Abraham. 2,000 years after he lived and died, he was very much alive. And Jesus says there's going to be a day when even the Gentiles get into the kingdom before you. He's talking to the religious leaders and the Pharisees, and they will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God, but you won't be there. Wow. God is the God of the living, not the dead. He's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob. Do you know that every believer that you know that has ever passed, Bible character, person that you've known, personally loved one who's died in Christ is more alive now than they've ever been before? They know Christ better than they ever did on this side. Death is a departure. The question is, do you know where you're going? And have you lived for the things that you say you believe? 
Do you know a lot of people, they give lip service to what they say they believe, but people are checking out of the planet and the question is, who are your people? Let me ask you, if it were to be said of you later tonight, he was, she was gathered to his or her people, who would your people be? The people of God? In chapter 25 of the book of Genesis, we have Abraham's life before us. And as we have seen Abraham on his faith journey, you know, faith goes through different seasons. And now there's a new season for Abraham. And it's not one that we talk about a lot, but Abraham did take another wife after the death of Sarah. Her name was Keturah. And Abraham had other children. And I just want to talk about an application for a moment that when a spouse dies, the remaining spouse is free. Romans chapter 7 says that person is free to remarry. Free to remarry, of course, in the Lord. We should always marry in the Lord. Now, if you are married to an unbeliever, then that's where you are and you can't change that. But if your spouse dies, you can remarry. You are free to remarry in the Lord. It doesn't mean you have to remarry, but it means that you're free to remarry. And I just want to say this, there's nothing wrong with you remarrying, biblically speaking. And just from the standpoint of if you don't have the gift of singleness, then it's okay for you to remarry. Now, you have to struggle with your conscience in terms of whether or not that's what the Lord has for you. But I just want to encourage you, don't be under some false guilt that you can't remarry. And I know sometimes it's hard for children who, you know, are used to mom and dad and then you know, they're faced with another person coming in. But I would still say this, if you're a person who is a widower or you've been widowed and, you know, you've been considering remarriage, obviously you want to wait on the Lord in terms of timing and you want to remarry in the Lord. But I would say to you, read Romans 7, especially the first uh, about six verses there, and you will see that you're free in Jesus Christ. And and that's uh, that's an important thing just to remember. And Abraham did do that. He did remarry. And uh, that family line is talked about briefly at the beginning of Genesis 25. And Abraham was able to go on with life and he was able to move forward in his life as an individual. And I just want to say to you that in Christ, wherever you may be, whatever your age may be right now, you can move forward in Jesus and live your life to the full because you are free in Jesus Christ. Hey, this is Pastor Michael Lance. I want to thank you for being aboard and listening to Living Truth Radio here on your radio station. And we're appreciative of our listening family. And you have an opportunity to help support this program by going to livingtruthradio.org. That's livingtruthradio.org. Click on the donate button. If you can help us out, we'd appreciate it. We want to expand to more radio stations, but we definitely want to stay on the air on your station. So please, uh, whatever you can give, if a lot of people give a small amount, that will really help us out. If we can pray for you in any way, use the contact form and reach out to us at livingtruthradio.org. We'd really like to hear from you and we appreciate it. God bless you and we'll catch you next time on the program. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.